You are listening to the audio from Grace Bible Church. This audio message is a recording from our Sunday morning worship service. We hope you enjoy. If you guys will, open up your Bibles to Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3. It should be page 46 in your pew Bible. You know, church, in 2003, the National Do Not Call Registry was established. Now, as most of you are aware, the Do Not Call Registry is a database of telephone numbers of individuals and families maintained by the federal government, who, you know, does a great job with maintaining everything, uh, who have requested that telemarketers do not call them. And as most of you are painfully aware, the National Do Not Call Registry is pointless because the telemarketers call anyway. Especially those extended car warranty people. They are relentless, aren't they? Now, if you're like me, then about 90% of the time, you simply ignore their calls or you kind of hang up on them during their sales pitch. However, every once in a while, I like to have a little bit of fun. On one occasion, I started sharing Jesus with a telemarketer. And for the first time, I learned what it felt like to be one of them because they actually hung up on me. On another occasion, I answered the phone and I said, I am so happy you called. I just got done memorizing the Gettysburg Address and I wanted to share it with somebody. (laughs) I've also been known to answer the phone and start speaking in tongues. That really throws them off guard. But church, the primary reason why we sign up for the Do Not Call Registry is because we don't want our lives to be interrupted by someone uh, with whom we have no interest in the product that they're selling. This got me to thinking, though. How often are we guilty of doing the same thing with God? How often do we either consciously or subconsciously put God on a spiritual do-not-call list because we don't want our lives to be interrupted? How often do we hang up on him because we don't want what he's selling? How often do we ignore his promptings because we're fearful of what might happen if we answered? Church, I can't help but wonder how many Christians are missing out on some amazing encounters with God because they either ignore, dismiss, or they're afraid to answer his calling for their lives. You know, truth be told, the Bible teaches that all of us have been giving a calling from God. And unlike the telemarketer, the calling from God is for our good and for his glory. In other words, we should want what God is selling. For us. 1 Peter 2.9 says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who what? Called you out of his darkness into his marvelous light. Church, this morning as we continue our series on God's faithfulness, we're going to look at God's special calling on the life of Moses. And it's through our study that we're going to be reminded of this amazing truth. God calls out his people to carry out his purposes. It's an amazing truth that God wants us involved in what he's doing. And so let's just take one more moment to pray and ask God's blessing on our time in his word. Lord Jesus, thank you for the opportunity to to bring your word this morning. And, And I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak through me to our people, 
God, that we would leave here changed, that we would leave here closer to Jesus, that we would leave here confident in our calling from you, and that we would live it out for your glory and your honor. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, last week we learned that after being raised in Pharaoh's palace for 40 years, Moses made a conscious decision to leave his lavish upbringing and identify with his people, the Israelites. However, upon seeing their oppression, instead of turning to the Lord for help, Moses decided to take matters into his own hands, quite literally, and he murdered one of the Egyptians. Now, his sin eventually found him out, and Pharaoh sought to put him to death. And so Moses fled to the wilderness, where he spent his next 40 years working for his father-in-law as a shepherd. And it's from this lowly position that God was about to call him to fulfill an extraordinary task. And so found within today's text are four principles for God's calling. Let's look at the first. The posture of a calling. The posture. Look at verse 1. Exodus 3, verse 1. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Let's stop there. Church, when it comes to receiving God's calling for our lives, it's a lot like going to a pizzeria. And what I mean by that is it all starts with a ball of dough. They they roll the dough, they press the dough, they smash the dough, then they pound the dough. And then after banging it around for a while, they start throwing it up in the air and they start twirling the dough. And, And you see, after the dough goes to a beating then it's ready to be used to produce the good stuff. Well, in the same way for us to be prepared for our calling, to receive our calling from God, sometimes God's going to allow us to go through some rolling and pressing and smashing and pounding and banging and twirling to get us ready to produce the good stuff he wants us to produce. And that's exactly what needed to happen with Moses. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 5 and 6 says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. It says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time, he may exalt you. Proper time, he may exalt you. You see, Moses was humbled by his circumstances. He went from 40 years of living in a palace to 40 years of living in the wilderness. He went from being a cavalier vigilante to a meek and unassuming shepherd. At 80 years old, Moses probably accepted his lot in life, Figured his time was up. Maybe that his best and most useful days were behind him. And it was in this posture of humility that God spoke to him in a remarkable way. He was ready to hear from God. Look at verses 2 through 4. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in, in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called all to him from a bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Church, a story is told of two men who went to go ice fishing. They went out and found a nice spot. They cut a hole in the ice and they dropped their lines in. And suddenly a loud voice boomed from above, there are no fish here. And in shock, the men looked at each other, and and they looked up, and they looked around, they didn't see anyone. And they figured, well, we better move spots. And so they moved, and they found another spot. They cut a hole in the ice, dropped their lines in, and again, a voice boomed from above, there are no fish here. And again, in shock, the men looked at each other, they looked around, they looked up, they didn't see anything. 
But being a little taken back, they decided to gather their equipment and move to another spot. But once again, the voice boomed even louder. There are no fish here. The men looked at each other. They looked around. They looked up. They didn't see anyone. And finally, one of the men asked, God, is that you? To which the voice replied, no, this is the skating rink manager. There are no fish here. You know, church, the primary way that God speaks to us today is not like that. It's through his word. However, in the Old Testament, God often revealed himself in a variety of unusual ways to get the attention of his people. And in this case, God spoke to Moses through a burning bush. Even if you're unchurched, you're kind of somewhat familiar with the burning bush story. Well, anyway, many scholars believe that God chose this means because all throughout Scripture... Fire is used as a picture of his holiness. And interestingly enough, I never knew this until I, 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 I figured it out this week, or I learned it this week, the very first time the Bible uses the word holy in reference to God is actually found in the following verses. Look at verses 5 and 6. Then he said, do not come near, take off your sandals, or take, take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground, holiness in the presence of God. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. You know, one commentator noted that Moses was standing on about a quarter of an inch of a sandal. Most of you guys own sandals. They're not super high off the ground, right? So Moses was standing on maybe a quarter inch of sandal. But in the presence of God, even that was too much. You see, not only did Moses need to be humbled by his circumstances, he needed to be humbled by God's holiness. He needed to lower his posture in the presence of God. In his book, Knowing God, J.I. Packer said, we must learn to reverence God, not till we have become humble and teachable, standing in awe of God's holiness and sovereignty, acknowledging our own littleness, distrusting our own thoughts, and willing to have our minds turned upside down, can divine wisdom become ours. Friends, the moment when we wholeheartedly agree that we are needy and that God is worthy, we're in a position to be used by him. And it was only after Moses was in this proper posture of worship that God revealed his extraordinary plans for his life. The same is true with us. If we're to receive God's calling for our lives, then we need to approach God with a posture of meekness and admiration and sincerity. Look what Hebrews 12, 28, 29 says. It says, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. Why? Because as Moses learned, our God is a consuming fire. You see, once we're in this posture, we're in a position to fulfill God's purposes. And this leads us to the second principle, the practice of a calling. So we have the posture. Now we're going to look at the practice. Let's read verses 7 through 10. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. And I have come down to deliver them out of the land of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me. 
I have also seen the oppression of, with which the Egyptians oppress them. And then here it is. He says, come, I will send you, Moses, to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. You know, church, there is a lot of confusion when it comes to God's calling for our lives. Oftentimes we question, what is God calling me to do? You ever, you ever face that question? Kind of wrestle with what, is God, what does God want me to do with my life? What is God calling me to do? And oftentimes the answer is, I don't know. And then we find ourselves discouraged and debilitated because we're still waiting on that burning bush moment. We're like Michael W. Smith. Looking for a reason, roaming through the night to find my place in this, right? Some of you guys almost had your lighters up in the air, you 80s kids. <laughs> However, I can't help but wonder if this is a subtle tactic that's used by the enemy to prevent us from being effective followers of Christ. Because when it comes to God's calling, church, it's a lot simpler than we make it out to be. I heard a pastor say, when it comes to discovering our calling, we tend to focus on the 10% that's unique to us. But 90% of our calling is clear in the scriptures, and it applies to everyone. In other words, the vast majority of our calling can be lived out today. First, or 2 Timothy 1.9 says, He saved us, and he called us to what? A holy calling. Not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. Listen, the ultimate calling of every believer is to live a life of holiness in whatever you're doing. Living a life of holiness. To faithfully walk with the Lord and grow in obedience to his word. Listen, I am convinced that if we are just faithful to fulfill the 90% of God's call that's already clearly laid out in Scripture, that God will be faithful to reveal any specific calling he has for our lives in his timing. In fact, we see this played out in the life of Moses. Remember, he didn't have a burning bush moment until well after he purposed to live a God-centered life. Hebrews 11, 24, uh, and 20, Hebrews 11, 24 through 26, it says, It was by faith that Moses, when he grew up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to share the oppression of God's people instead of enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin. He thought it was better to suffer for the sake of Christ than to own the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking ahead to his great reward. You see, it was only after Moses made the decision to associate with God and his people, that God eventually called him to a specific task of leading them out of Egypt. He was 80 years old. We find a similar occurrence with the early church in Acts chapter 13, verses 2 and 3. It says, While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. You see, God called Barnabas and Paul to a specific service while they were already in the midst of doing service for the Lord. You picking up what I'm throwing down? And so all this to say, if you are wrestling with God's call for your life, number, number one, I get it, I've been there before, but if you're wrestling with God's call for your life, don't lose heart. Sitting around and waiting on what you don't know. If God has a specific ministry or service for you, 
Can we just believe that he'll be faithful to reveal him when he's ready to reveal him? I mean, we are working so hard at trying to figure out God when he's like, yo, I, I got this. You know, God came to the burning bush. Moses didn't go to the burning bush first. He already saw the bush burning, and then he went to it. And so can we just have the faith to say, okay, God, you know what? I don't know what you want me to do, uh, you know, specifically, or if you're calling me to ministry or to be a missionary or to do this, that, the other thing, or this job. or what. But what I do know is like 90% of Scripture tells me what I should be doing as a Christian. And so I'm just going to trust you with that 10% that at the right time, you'll reveal that to me. Work on what you know to be true. I've heard it said this way. <coughs> Excuse me. Waiting, waiting is living, not loafing. Waiting is living on what I know to be true about God when I don't know what's true about my life. Let me say that again. Waiting is living on what I know to be true about God when I don't know what's true about my life. In other words, waiting is active. We're active in the waiting and friends, what we know to be true about God is that he wants us to seek his face in prayer. We know that. We know that he wants us to pursue and practice holiness by faithfully following his word. And we know that he wants us to trust him with the rest. So let's press into that. Friends, God has you exactly where he has you right now for a reason. So let me encourage you to own it and be satisfied in it until God shows you otherwise. I like what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 7. He just said, only let each person lead the life the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Let's move on to the next principle for God's calling, the promise of a calling. Look at verse 11, the promise of a calling. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? You know, there's a well-known Christian song that asks the question, Who am I that the Lord of all the earth would care to know my name, would care to feel my hurts? And it continues, I'm a flower quickly fading, here today and gone tomorrow, a wave tossed in the ocean, a vapor in the wind. I think, I think that's what Moses was feeling when when God called him to this task. As already mentioned, Moses was, hey, he changed a great deal in 40 years. At the age of 40, he was a man full of self-confidence, but now he was full of self-doubt. He went from being a man with all the answers to being a man with all the questions. He went from a man who thought he could conquer to a man who was fearful of being conquered. John Butler said, God cannot use us when we think we are somebody. Well, it's clear that Moses was humble to the point of viewing himself as a nobody, which actually made him primed and ready for God's use. However, it also made him question his calling, and later, as we'll see in, in, in the next sermon, even argue against God's calling for his life, which brings to mind an important biblical principle. Listen, many times God is going to call us to do something, many times, Every time, God is going to call us to do something that is outside of our comfort zones. Almost always, if not always. Whenever we pursue God's plans and purposes for our lives, and I'm talking about the 90% just obeying God's word, if we just do that, not even focus on the 10%, just the 90%, 
If we do that and that alone in daily life, it's going to be stretching. And like Moses, we're going to find ourselves questioning our worth and ability to fulfill the task. Praise God, it's not on us ultimately because we have the Holy Spirit uh, dwelling in us, amen, to give us the power to fulfill the task. But here's the other thing. We're also prone to let fear and doubt get the best of us. So church, it's in these moments that we must remember that God, who, who is forever king in heaven on the throne, knows what he's doing. In fact, he's always known what he's doing. He's always known. Look at Ephesians 2.10 on the screen. It says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You see, in eternity past, God purposed to use his people, which includes a goofball like me and wonderful people like you, to accomplish his good works. So when it comes to doing these good works, we don't need to let our fears or failures or insecurities cripple us from getting the job done. It's been said, God doesn't call the qualified, he qualifies the called. Friends, this is a critical promise to cling to and we're following God's calling for our lives. But not only this, because right in this verse it tells us that God also promises to be with us every step of the way. Look at verse 12, the first part of verse 12. He said, but I will be with you. Wow, such wonderful words. And, 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 and those words are sprinkled all throughout Scripture. And sometimes I just like, man, I just wish God would audibly just say that to me one time when I'm, when I'm stepping into something that I don't know what I'm doing. You know, to, to hear those words from God audibly, hey, Mike, I'll be with you. But we come to learn, he said that to Moses, and as we'll learn next week, or a couple weeks from now, it didn't really matter what God said. Moses still made excuses. But man, those beautiful words, I will be with you. You know, when I was a kid, I was afraid to go to a lot of different places, especially the haunted house at Knobles. <laughs> but when my dad was with me, my fears disappeared. Church, one of the greatest gifts of the Christian life is the promise of God the Father's comforting presence when going through uncharted territory. Max Lucado said, God's present is his presence. His greatest gift is himself. James 4.8 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Friends, the more we press into God's calling for our lives, that's what drawing near to God is. It's, it's, it's agreeing with him. It's coming close to him. It's, it's settling your life in what his word says and trying to Follow that with your life. You're drawing near to him in his ways. When you draw near to him, he will draw near to you. And the more we press into that calling, the more we're going to experience and enjoy that sustaining presence in our lives. Psalm 1611 says, You make known to me the path of life, and in your presence there's fullness of what? Joy. There's, there's far too many churches out there that are just joyless churches, man. And I don't get that because apparently they don't read the Bible and they certainly don't read the Psalms because in God's presence there is fullness of joy and we've got to celebrate that joy and embrace that joy. It says, at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. You see, David understood by experience what it meant to have the, the, the close-knit presence of God as he was going through a whole bunch of crazy things in his own life. How many of you want to experience that fullness of joy in God's presence? Say, I do. 
Amen. Church, closeness with the Lord comes by embracing our calling from the Lord. You don't just get it by happenstance. You've got you to pursue it. I mean, yes, we have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us, but if we're not pursuing the Lord, then we're quenching the Holy Spirit's work, and that's why we're not feeling close to the Lord. And this leads us to the fourth principle. We keep moving here. The purpose of a calling. The purpose. Look at uh, the second part of verse 12. And this shall be a sign to you that I have sent you. When you've brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Church, when the American hostages came home from Iran in 1981, the first thing they did when they got off the plane was kiss the ground. And in that moment, their achievements didn't matter. Their accomplishments didn't matter. Their accolades didn't matter. When they got home, they bowed down and they kissed the ground. Why? Because they knew where they had been. And they knew where they are now. Church, the reason why many believers stop bowing down and worship is that they forget where they came from. And they forget that they were once hostages in enemy territory, and now they've been set free through Jesus Christ. One commentator noted, whenever God delivers you from something, he also delivers you to something himself. God told Moses that following their deliverance, the Israelites are going to come back to that very same mountain, and they're going to serve God on that mountain. And the word serve, probably a lot of your Bibles might say this, is also translated worship. Worship helps us remember. In fact, when you get right down to it, that's really the purpose of any calling from God. At the end of the day, it's all about worship. We are called and created to make God look good. Isaiah 43, 7 says, Everyone who is called by my name, whom I have created for my glory, I have formed him, yes, I have made him. So let's just kind of bring it all down here to a close. Friends, I want you to know something. That if you are a believer in this room today, then you have been given an extraordinary calling from God. Just think about that for a second. The God of the universe, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the, the God who spoke creation into existence, the God who knit you together in your mother's womb, wants to use you to accomplish his plans and purposes. The God of the universe invites you and me to partner with him in his redemptive work. The God of the universe wants to use you to help people find and follow Jesus. He wants to use you for his glory. <clears throat> 2 Corinthians 5.20, it says, We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. But here's the deal. God makes the call, but you need to answer. Sure, you can choose to ignore his call. Sure, you can choose to dismiss his call. Sure, you can choose to argue against his call. And you can choose to hang up on his call. But in doing so, you are choosing to miss out on a life full of meaning and purpose. You're choosing to miss out on experiencing God in some incredible life-changing ways. And you're choosing to miss out on playing a part in God's divine plan. We all want to be important in this world, don't we? We want to climb up the ladder to success. Well, I can't think of anything more successful than being parts, playing a little tiny part in God's plans. Isaiah 6, 8. 
says, and I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then I said, here I am, send me. Church, I don't know what God might be calling you to do today. I mean, even with the 90% that God's word says, maybe there's a particular part of that 90% that God's like, I need you to do this today. I need you to work on this today. I don't know what God's calling you to do. Certainly don't know the 10%. But just like the great prophet Isaiah, I want to encourage you to answer his call. Here I am, send me. Because I promise you're not going to regret it. And this brings us back to this awesome truth to remember that God calls out his people to carry out his purposes. Now, I, I am, the plane is, is landing, I promise. You know, it's, we're in descent mode. They're calling the tower to say we're coming in, but I'm not done yet. Just give me like two more minutes, okay? Because before God can use you to carry out his purposes, you got to make sure you're one of his people. You see, not everyone is a child of God. The that title is reserved only for those who have trusted Jesus and Jesus alone for their eternal life. John 1.12 says, But to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Friends, the Bible teaches that our sin separates us from God. Yet God, in his great love for us, became a man in Jesus, lived a perfect life, died on a cross for the punishment of our sins. Three days later, he rose from the grave, defeating sin and death, and provided a way for you and I to receive forgiveness for our sins and have eternal life. Not a way. He actually provided the only way for eternal life. And so to receive this eternal life, you personally must acknowledge that you're a sinner, repent of your sin, which means to change your mind or direction, and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ for your salvation. John 3.36 says, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. There's a confidence there. You can claim that you have eternal life because of Jesus. But whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. And so if you need to respond to God's call for your salvation today, maybe that's why God brought you to church this morning, is to receive him as, his Lord and Savior, as, as your Lord and Savior. And you could do so right now by praying along with me. In fact, let's just pray. Everybody bow your heads. Let's just pray together. And, and if you need to pray this prayer, you pray along with me. Dear God, your word says that you desire to have a relationship with me, and I believe it. Your word says that my sin has separated me from you, and I believe it. Your word teaches that apart from a Savior, I am destined to spend eternity in hell, and I believe it. Yet, God, your word also says that you sent your one and only Son, Jesus, to die for me on a cross, and that three days later he rose again. And whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And, Lord, this morning, for the first time, I believe that too. And so, Lord, beginning today, I place my faith in Jesus and Jesus alone for eternal life. God, I thank you for delivering me from the domain of darkness and giving me eternal life. And help me from this day forward to follow you and you do your will in Jesus' name. Amen. Friend, if, if you prayed that prayer along with me to receive Christ or you'd like to know more about what it means to be saved, I want you to just come forward after the service and talk with me or uh, grab an information packet here by the, by the pulpit to help you answer some of those questions for you. Likewise, if you're just here this morning needing some prayer, maybe you need some clarity, some direction, maybe God's asking you to do something, you're not really sure what's next or, or how to handle that, you just want somebody to pray with. I want to invite you to come forward and pray with the elders and their spouses after the service. They're going to come up during the closing song, right? 
elders and spouses, you're going to come up during the closing song. At some point, you guys are going to come up, and you can feel free to come over during the song or after the service and, and pray with them. I know that would be their joy. And so I'd like to invite the praise team to come forward for our closing song, and let's bow our heads one last time in prayer before we wrap things up. <clears throat> Lord Jesus, I thank you for the example of Moses. Lord, I thank you that oftentimes we put these um, heroes of the faith on on pedestals, Lord, and we are thankful for their testimony, God, but all of these heroes of our faith are just men and women that are flawed and messy and have the same fears and insecurities that we do, yet they said yes to when you called them. Even if they argued with you, they still said yes. Lord, help us to be those people today. Help us to recognize that you just call the simple. You call the weak. God, we are so thankful this morning that we are your children and that you want to use your children for your glory. So God, I pray for anyone here that just needs that extra boost today, that you would reveal to them precisely what you would have them do as they walk out these doors, that you would receive all the glory for it. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Grace Bible Church. For more information about our church and our ministries, you can visit gracebiblepa.com. 